Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing our study tonight of the most uh, frequently taken out of context Bible verses. And I would um, encourage you, don't, don't close your Bibles after I read the one verse. It's only one verse, but we're going to spend time in the entire passage. And so in order to, to understand the one verse I'm going to read, we, we have to look at the flow of the whole passage. So please keep your Bibles open. But Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 1, this is a passage that uh, gives us careful instruction about the kind of people we are to be. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier in the prayer and in the canons reading, we are, we are called to go out and be witnesses of Christ in this world. We are to, to serve one another here in this church. How should we, how should we be? What, what kind of people should we be? What should we be characterized by? And, and this isn't just for adults. Um, this is for children. This is for you. Young people, this is for you. This is what... God calls you to be as well. So Matthew 7, verse 1, very simply says, Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not. I think the King James says, Judge not lest ye be judged. This past week I had lunch at Panda Express. And if you've ever eaten at Panda Express before, you know that, that with your meal you normally get a fortune cookie. We know it's silly, we know it's kind of dumb, but we open the fortune cookie anyway and we see what the fortune cookie says and it's supposed to tell us something about our future or give us some kind of wisdom. Fortune cookies say things like, the greatest risk is not taking one or don't worry about money, the best things in life are free. Big journeys begin with a single step, things like that. There are times, though, when we are guilty of treating the Bible like a fortune cookie. We, we take a verse, we rip it out of its context, and we make it say something that it's not really intended to say, and we think that that one verse is going to give us wisdom for life. And, and again, the danger in doing that is that we take a verse out of its context and we miss what it is really saying. Tonight we come to one of the most isolated, misinterpreted, misapplied verses in all of Scripture. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Many people take this verse and they use it as a weapon. They take this verse and they say, we can never call out sin we can never say that's wrong and you shouldn't be doing that. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. And in order to understand this one verse, we, we have to understand this one verse in light of its context, in light of what all of this passage says, which runs basically from verse 1 down through verse 12. And so we want to look at the whole passage tonight. We want to look at verse 1 in its context and, and rather than saying what some people say that it says or believe that it says, it's actually telling us something quite different and quite helpful, I think. So there are three parts to this passage. First of all, there is the exhortation, which is in verse 1. Then there is the example. And then there is the encouragement. Jesus begins and he says the famous words, do not judge or you too will be judged. Again, a 
People take this verse and say you have no right to criticize anyone. You, you have no right to call anyone out. Keep your thoughts and your opinions to yourself, especially your thoughts and your opinions which run against the grain of our culture. And, and let's face it, this is exactly the kind of thinking that is widely embraced in our culture today. You can't judge me. You, you can't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. What I think and how I live is my business and it's none of yours. And then they'll say something like this. You call yourself a Christian? Well, remember what Jesus said. Don't judge or you will be judged. Now, the first problem with that is that it, it flies in the face of everything else the Bible says. The Bible, as many of you know, talks often about making judgments. It, it talks often about discerning right from wrong. J just in the immediate context of Jesus' sermon here, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus doesn't say, don't judge false teachers. Give them a break. Don't talk about them. Just, just let them do what they're doing. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you heard from me, let them be under God's curse. Paul didn't say, who am I to criticize other preachers? Who am I to call people out? Who am I to say that there's only one way to heaven? No, Paul, Paul condemns a false gospel and he condemns a false gospel in no uncertain terms. And so the point of the Bible, or the point is that the Bible speaks often of discerning truth from error. It, it speaks often of, of admonishing those who are living in sin. And, and since the Bible is the very word of God, we, we know that it's consistent it doesn't contradict itself. God doesn't say one thing in this one passage and something totally different in this other passage. And, and so what is Jesus getting at here when he says don't judge? Very simply, he is talking about having a critical spirit. He's talking about having a judgmental spirit. He's, he's talking about being a fault finder. This is the person who is always complaining about someone else, always finding fault with others, condemning others because they don't look like we think they should look or act like we think they should act, all based on some arbitrary standard that we have created. And Jesus says here, you have no basis to do that. Jesus even gives a very sober warning. If you look at verse 2, he says, for with the judgment you pronounce... You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do I want to stand before God on the day of judgment and have him judge me by the standard that I've judged others? If I have judged without mercy, I will be judged without mercy, Jesus is saying. This is a very, very serious matter, isn't it? One author says this, he says, there is nothing more ungodly than a critical spirit. Nothing more unchristlike than the false righteousness that is always looking for something wrong in someone else. 
And, and so rather than, than Jesus saying you can never call out sin, you can never say something is wrong, what he's getting at is that you, you must not, Christian, you are not to be a person with a critical spirit. You are not to be a fault finder. And, and now he goes on and he shows an example of what this critical spirit looks like. Jesus pictures for us two Christians. One Christian sees that the other Christian has a speck in his eye, but, but he fails to realize that he has a log in his own eye. Children, you can picture it like this. You can picture that there's one guy who has a, has a little tiny microscopic, you can barely even see it, microscopic piece of dust in his eye. And the other guy has an eight-foot-long two-by-four hanging out of his eye. And, and the guy with the two-by-four in his eye goes over to his brother in Christ with a little speck of sawdust, and he says, hey, I noticed you got a piece of sawdust in your eye. You need to do something about that. But all the while, he's not paying attention to the two-by-four that's hanging out of his own eye. Now, now Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't ever speak to someone about sin in their life. Just leave it alone. It's no big deal. We've all had something in our eye before, right? Irritating. Even if it's small, something small can be a real irritant. And, and you wouldn't say, you know, I get this little piece of sawdust in my eye. It's not very big. I'm just going to let it go. No, you're going to deal with it. You're going you're to get that piece of sawdust out of your eye. And so Jesus isn't saying if you, if you see a little something in your brother or sister's life that needs to be corrected, let it go. Don't, don't say anything about it. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying be careful in how you treat your fellow believer. Be careful in how you approach them about their faults. Be, be careful that, that you don't harshly criticize them while failing to look at yourself and your own struggles and your own failures and your own weaknesses. I mean, let's admit it, we're all pretty good at finding fault in others. We're not so good often in examining ourselves. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus speaks of the faults of other people as specks and he speaks of our faults as logs? We, we typically reverse that, don't we? We, we usually see the, the faults of other people as being huge and our own faults as, as being something really small. We might say, yeah, I have a, might have a little speck in my eye, but, but that guy over there, he's got a big, huge log coming out of his eye. But Jesus reverses it. And again, this is the person with the, the critical spirit, the person who is always looking for the, the slightest misstep in everyone else. They don't see their own sin. They, they only see the sins of others. It's the attitude of, of let me tell you what's wrong with you. I will straighten you out so that you'll look like me. That's a critical spirit. That's what Jesus is getting at here. This, this screams of self-righteousness, this screams of hypocrisy. Jesus even calls that person here a hypocrite, an actor, pretending to be something that they're not. There comes a point when we have to stop pretending, right? There comes a point when we have to be real and honest and face our own faults and not act like we're perfect people because we're not. And so how should we judge others in a, in a way that honors the Lord? How can we, 
Can, how can we approach another person? Not, not condoning their sin, not with a critical, judgmental spirit, but, but how can we minister to one another in a way that is, is godly, in a way that honors the Lord? Well, two things to think about that, that Jesus brings up here. First of all, we do so with grace. We do so with grace. Notice verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We have a tendency, again, to think that we have a speck in our eye. And that other person over there, they, they have the two-by-four. But Jesus says, no, no, deal, deal with the two-by-four, deal with the log in your own eye, and then you'll be better prepared to deal with the speck in your brother or your sister's eye. In other words, I think he's saying, recognize that you too are a sinner. Recognize that you too are a work in progress. Minister to other people with grace. The point that Jesus is making here is that when we, when we understand how gracious the Lord has been to us, when, when we understand that we have received that which we don't deserve, when we understand that the Lord loves us and has been merciful to us and is patient with us and compassionate towards us, that affects how we treat other people, doesn't it? But when we, when we don't understand the gospel, when we, we don't understand the grace and mercy that we have been shown, we will have a tendency to have a critical spirit. And again, when we, when we recognize our own sin, when we recognize our own faults, it's then that we'll be, we will be better prepared to minister to each other. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Again, th- this, is, this is what we're called to do. This is how we're called to deal with each other. Yes, we will offend each other. Yes, we will hurt each other. Yes, we, we're not perfect. And, and there will be times when we, we hurt and offend and wrong our brother or our sister in Christ. And, and we have to be ready to deal with it. There will be times when they wrong us. And we have to deal with it in a godly way. Jesus, you remember, tells a parable of how not to do this, Matthew chapter 18. Children, you remember the story. There's this, there's this guy. He owes the king billions and billions and billions of dollars. And he, he, he goes to the king and he falls on the ground. And he says, king, please, please be patient and merciful with me and I will pay you back. And there's no way the guy could have paid him back. But he's begging for mercy. And you remember what the king does. The king forgives him the entire amount. He says, you're forgiven. You don't owe me a cent. And then this forgiven servant, he goes out into the streets and he finds a, a friend of his who owes him 20 bucks. And, and he says, pay me back or I'm going to have you thrown in jail. And the guy doesn't pay him back. And so the, the first servant, the guy who had been forgiven the billion dollar debt, he throws the other servant in jail. Jesus told that parable as a, as a way to remind us that we have to understand the grace and mercy that we have been shown so that we will be people who show grace and mercy to others. Contrary to this, think of King David. King David, 
was a man who committed adultery. He had another man murdered. And, and he came to see his, his sin. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you remember he writes Psalm 51 as a psalm of confession. And he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he, he deals first of all with the log in his own eye. And then he prays this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That's the proper order. David deals with his own sin first and then he says, okay, now I will go teach my fellow sinners. So brothers and sisters, we are, we are called to judge with grace. We are called to minister with grace. We are called to, to judge with an understanding of the grace and mercy that we have been shown. Secondly, though, we are also to judge with discernment. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this kind of seems out of place in a certain sense, but I want you to think about dogs and pigs. Today, we have dogs as household pets, right? Many of you have dogs at home, and they are your pet. They are beloved members of the family. But, but in Jesus' day, dogs were not household pets. They were typically dirty, diseased scavengers who would wander the streets looking for food. They, they weren't lovable household pets. They didn't have names and sweaters and dog dishes. They, they were despised creatures. And, and Jesus says, don't give dogs what is holy. The, the, the idea here is probably the fact that, I mentioned this this morning, that there would be food offerings where, where meat would be offered as a sacrifice at the temple. And, and some of it, there, there would be leftover meat, and so some of it would go to the priests, and some of it would be taken home by the family to be eaten. Some of it would be burned, but, but some of it would be left behind on the altar, and that meat was considered to be holy. Jesus is saying you, you wouldn't take that holy piece of meat and give it to a, a dirty, filthy dog. Jesus also mentions pigs. Pigs were also despised in that day. They were the ultimate example of uncleanness to a Jew. They were also wild, filthy animals, wander around, scavenge for food. Jesus says, don't give pearls to pigs. Children, pearls were, were very rare, very valuable in that day. And so you wouldn't take a, a rare jewel and, and give it to a pig. And the point that Jesus is making is that we are to be discerning in our dealings with other people. Uh, specifically in, in how we share the gospel with, with those who are so defiant and, and decisive in their rejection. Jesus isn't saying don't, don't share the gospel with unbelievers. Unbelievers need the gospel. They need to hear about Christ. But, but when a person continues to reject Christ and, and hardens their heart against the gospel message, there comes a point, Jesus says, it's time to move on. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 10, verse 14. He said, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. Paul said in Acts 18.5, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. 
Evangelism is important. We have a calling to to bring the gospel to those who don't know Christ. We have a calling to, to preach the gospel from this pulpit. We have a calling to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel in our communities. And as a church, this is something that, that we need to be intentional in, in strategizing about. How can we, in 2023 and beyond, how can we in this culture reach people with the gospel? We, we can't just expect that unbelievers are going to want to come here. That they're going to drive by and see our building and, and say, oh, I think I'll go to church there. That might be the case years ago, but we live in a different culture today. And so we need to be asking the question, what can we do as a church to, to bring the gospel out into this world? But if, if people have had plenty of opportunity to hear the gospel and yet they harden themselves in their rebellion and their rejection. They are, in the words of Jesus, dogs and pigs. And, and we are under no obligation to try with them over and over and over. Now that shouldn't be our normal behavior. Our, our, our normal behavior should be to continue to want to take the gospel to people. But, but there does come a point when we have to say, I have to move on. I have to move on. And so Jesus is, is reminding us here that as you are gracious with others, as you deal with others as a sinner who understands your sin and understands grace and the gospel, you, you go out, you naturally want to tell others about this good news, but, but there comes a time when, when people reject it and there comes a time when you have to say enough. That requires wisdom. That requires discernment. But, but that's what Jesus is saying. Now, here's the thing. We, we know that it's not easy to be gracious with other people. It's just not. We, again, we have a tendency to see the, uh, the log in the other person's eye and not the log in our own eyes. And it's not easy to be discerning. It's not easy to know when to stop. And so we need the Lord. We need his wisdom. And that's the third point. And that's the encouragement that Jesus here gives us here. The encouragement, very simply, is to pray. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, and knock. In the original language, all of these could be translated, keep on. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Be persistent. This, this isn't a verse where Jesus is telling you if you just keep praying, you will get the house of your dreams. If you just keep praying, you will get the car you've always wanted. If you just keep praying, you will get that vacation house. That's another verse taken out of context. This is saying something different. We, we have a tendency to be judgmental. We have a tendency to be fault finders. We have a tendency to ignore our own sins and, and pick at the faults of others. And we know that's not godly behavior. We know that that's not honoring to the Lord. And so we need to pray. We need to pray persistently. We need to ask and, and seek and knock. We need to say, Lord, help me. Help me when I go to work tomorrow. Help me when I go to school. Help me when I see that neighbor. Help me when I see that other person. 
Empower me with your Holy Spirit so that I will live as you call me to live. Help me to be gracious toward my fellow believers. Help me to be discerning in my dealings with other people. And and look, the, the promise here is that we can trust the Lord will hear us. The Bible says we we don't have because we don't ask. Jesus gives us a wonderful promise here that the Lord loves us. The Lord loves to hear our prayers. He is good and kind and compassionate. Look at verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If we who are sinners by nature still love our children so much that we provide what they need, how much more will our Heavenly Father provide for us? You see, regardless of your relationship with your earthly heaven or your earthly father, your Heavenly Father loves you even more. Children, your, your parents love you. God loves you more. And and Jesus says he will give good things to those who ask him. That raises a question. And the question is, since God loves us so much, and since he's promised to hear our prayers, and and he's promised to, to give us what we need to live for him, why do we find it so difficult to pray? Why why are, are our prayer lives often so very inconsistent? God is your father. He's your loving father. He loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. Why is it it so hard for us to pray? I would submit to you one reason is that we still have a difficult time believing the gospel. We still have a difficult time believing the gospel. You and I are by nature hardwired for law. You've heard me say that before. And we fall into this pattern of thinking that the Christian life is still a covenant of works. That that we have to work, that we have to be better, that we have to try harder, that we have to be more moral. Or God will cast us off. But since we continue to struggle with indwelling sin... We think, well, I'm not really worthy to come to God in prayer. I'm not good enough for him to hear me. Some people treat the Lord's table this way. I'm not good enough. I need to try harder. I need to be better. And we have a hard time believing the gospel. We we struggle to believe what the Bible says about us. We struggle to believe what the Bible says about those who trust in Christ. We we struggle to really believe Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We have a hard time believing that at times. We struggle to really believe Romans 8 verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We struggle to really believe 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We struggle to believe this good news and we think to ourselves, this is too good to be true. And I'm not worthy. And we keep ourselves from God's throne of grace. Brothers and sisters, we are the dearly loved, fully forgiven, forever justified people of God. I don't care if you've been a Christian for two seconds or 90 years. It's the same for every Christian. I don't care if you're a middle school student, a middle-aged person, or a senior saint. If you trust Christ, you are the dearly loved, fully forgiven, forever justified child of God. And your Father in heaven loves to hear your prayers. He loves when you pray to him. And he says when you come to him, he will give you what you need. Matthew 7.1 is not telling us that we can never make judgments. It's not telling us that you can't say that's wrong. You can't do that. It's not telling you that you can't call out sinful behavior. But it is telling you and it's telling me that, that we need to be careful in how we approach other people, that we need to do it with grace, that we need to do it with an understanding of how kind and gracious and merciful the Lord has been to us. And if you're like me, you know that's hard to do. It's hard to be gracious. It's hard to be forgiving. It's hard to deal with others with an understanding of how good God has been to us. And that's why prayer is so important. That's why it's so critical that we depend upon him to live the Christian life. So that's what this verse is about. Not having a critical spirit, not being a fault finder, but recognizing how gracious God has been to you and asking God for the strength that you might be gracious to others as well. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so weak, but you are almighty. You have given each one of us the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would empower us by the Spirit that we may be gracious in our dealings with one another, that we may, we may be discerning with those who oppose your truth. Help us, Lord, to reflect often on the grace and the mercy that you have shown to us, that we may, that we may put to death a critical spirit and may display grace and compassion to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing together number 130.